You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. So the scripture today is Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thank you, Nicole. Um, yes, yeah, as, as Nicole read from us, we're, we're going to be looking into Genesis. And, and for a moment, I want to introduce the series that we're starting today. And uh, it's, it's exciting always to start a new series of, of looking in the Bible in different ways. But this series is called A Story. And uh, the purpose of this is through six different messages... And I mean, obviously, it'd be great to do like 500 messages and go through literally the whole Bible straight through. But in six messages, we want to give an overlying um, kind of narrative of what God is doing there. Um, and the reason for this is sometimes, and maybe this is your background too, we read the Bible kind of like little chunks. It's like um, in the morning you wake up, God, I need to hear something from you and just open it up and read something like, thank you, Lord, for that word. And that's fine. You know, I believe that can work. Sometimes you might hit, sometimes miss, but I think that's okay. But um, I think there's a value in picking up this book or opening up your phone, whatever you do, um, for you cool kids, and taking from the beginning to the end and seeing that there is actually one kind of uh, message going through, that God is speaking one message from the beginning all to the end, and it's, it's, it's a unified narrative. It's a unified story. It's not just separate kind of nice morality tales. Or, or ways to live, there's actually one structure that goes through. And that's our purpose with this series, um, The Story. That we want to look at this one unified story, and we're going to be starting today looking at creation. But in the coming weeks, we're going to look at the fall, promise, gospel, mission, and on Easter, culminating with new creation. Looking at how it all comes together again. So really excited about this. We're hoping you can come and, and I know, again, some of you on break and stuff, you can find the messages online just to track through this one message coming through together. Um, so today, we're going to be looking at Genesis, as we read here, and going to be looking at a few more verses than we actually read, and starting out, looking at this idea of creation. And a lot of good thoughts here are, are from a book that uh, I found valuable called God's Big Picture from Vaughn Roberts, but really helping to tease through how every part of the scripture comes together, but particularly this part in Genesis. I want to read this first. This is the very beginning of the Bible. So I want you to follow along and just listen to this story of how God uh, works here to create. And this is from Genesis, starting Genesis, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the water from the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, 
And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And it was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Man, isn't the word of God beautiful? I love just hearing that. I guess reading it and you hearing. Let me pray. Lord, guide us as we explore your word here and explore the beginning of this great story. Help us in a sense, Lord, to um, get lost in this large narrative and find ourselves in the midst of it. So we thank you. Holy Spirit, guide us in this time. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, even as we look at these words of creation, what I just read there, for some of you, you're like, man, that's like a great fairy tale. That's awesome. Just, it's like kind of like what the Greeks have and the Romans have. I guess you Christian folk got that too, right? Like different origin stories. And, and I want to say up front that there are various views among, crea- of, among Christians of God's creative work. I, I would even say 
that there are some views that might be pretty different that you can still call yourself a Christian and, and believe these things. But in all of that, the purpose here is not to discuss all of that. But in the midst of that, I do want to give attention to what's found in verse 1 here, this idea, God created. God created. Um, a, a fancy technical term for that is ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. That out of nothing, God created something. And this Hebrew word that we find for beginning here in chapter 1, uh, verse 1, it, it means an indefinite period of time. It's not like a focus-specific, this is what it is. Um, this word beginning talking about ind- indefinite period of time. So it's possible that creation, all of creation, was completed over an extended period of time, whether it's days or billions of years. And then Genesis 1-2, what it's describing is God preparing this uninhabitable land for the creation of mankind. So the preparation of this uncultivated land and for the creation of Adam and Eve then, we would say, occurred in six literal 24-hour days. And, And I think this is a view of the scriptures that can leave open the possibility of both a really old earth as well as six literal days of creation, that the two are not necessarily in conflict with one another. And that's a whole other debate. If you want to talk about that more, talk to Pastor Larry, because he can really dig into that with you. <laughs> but what we see in verse 3 to 25, and, and for the purpose today, we're not digging into every single word here, but verses 3 to 25, we see this big idea that God's creative act is purposeful. There is intention here. It, it's full of order. I mean, we could dig into it, but the patterns of how God creates it, it's really amazing for the advancement of life that, that this is not just some like random collision of, of particles that are out there that happen to produce the world we now live in today. I mean, it takes a lot of faith to believe that, actually. Um, but it's intentionally creative. It's purposeful that the earth and, and all of its majesty, all of its beauty and glory, and it's, it's splendid in its design. Maybe a way that we can describe this is that God's creation was life as it was meant to be. That God's original creation was life as it was meant to be. And we see this repeated throughout, right? God saw that it was good. I love that, right? God looked at what he made and like, that's good. It's the way life was supposed to be. And I think it's important, as simple as that sounds for even us here, to remember that because the reality is we look around and we see creation and it doesn't always look very good. Sometimes people, right? Sometimes we look at what God made and we're like, man, it kind of stinks. And we're going to look in more of that next week, but that's a result of this thing called the fall. That sin entered the world and took what was beautiful and perfect and marred it. Um, But for us to really understand God's goal and his story... If we're going to take this whole book, look at this whole narrative here, we have to view it through this lens of God's purpose, of of taking that original, what was right, that went horribly wrong, and making it right again. That was God's purpose in his story. And I'm going to say this, it'll help us, I think, to avoid sometimes like really simplistic approaches to God and and to the Bible and and the story. And, and I want to be really clear. You've got to listen to all of this, right? Um, sometimes I'll, I'll talk with people, and I don't think anyone in our church actually, maybe you just don't say it, but sometimes like, you know what? This whole Christian thing is just about going to heaven, right? Ultimately, 
forget all this like junk about caring for the, you know, all the creation care. That's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. You know, who cares about things like social stuff or politics or race? All that's just ridiculous. The goal is that we got to find a way to get to heaven. And God has given good news so that we can do that. Um, none of this matters. It's all going to burn. Ultimately, it's just about going to heaven and knowing that. I want to, f- you, this is why you got to hear me out here before you call me a heretic. I believe in heaven. I fully affirm heaven. But here's the thing, guys. If we see the Bible as one unified story, we see that God's goal ultimately is a new creation. It's to kind of take what was good, that went bad, and make it good again, ultimately redeeming things to what they were originally intended to be in all of its goodness, in all of its glory. This means that the material world does matter. Because God is the one who created it. What we see, even if we believe in heaven, which again, we want to affirm, this all does matter. This is important. Because I think this attitude to the material world that that I would suggest we find here, it's very different than some religions might have. Even some Christians might have. Um, Because sometimes, if we're not careful, religion and even Christianity can kind of become this idea of it's only spiritual. It's only about the soul. Um, Everything else, right? It's kind of like secondary or maybe even worse. It's just like evil. Like anything of this earth is just evil. We want to be spiritual people. And, And it's almost like salvation then is it's release from this prison of the body. Like to truly know God is then to be released from the body so that we can be in the immaterial world where God lives. But guys, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible actually doesn't say that. The Bible does not allow us to rank the spiritual above the material. I would actually suggest the spiritual material go together very much so. It's got to be a holistic view of life because matter matters because God made it. Matter Matters because God, God is the one who made it. It is good. God is interested in our souls very much so, but He's not just interested in our souls. He's also interested in our bodies. He's interested in our work. He's interested in our families. He, he's interested in our city. He's interested in where you work. He's interested in, in things that maybe don't sound spiritual, but I'm going to suggest they're actually very spiritual because God has made it. So we value. And we take care of creation and all that's in it because God made it. It's God's. And we're taking responsibility for it. Guys, brief, brief story. This is why our work matters. I don't know if, if, if any of you have ever struggled with this because sometimes it's almost like we talk in the church, you know, let's be spiritual people. And we think, okay, that's like that one hour on Sunday, right? Or maybe a, another hour during the week for community group. And the rest is just like unspiritual. It's like work. Oh, I hate it. I got to go do it. Um, no wonder then we have such a bad idea of work. Sometimes it's because we got a nasty job, but sometimes we don't have a really a, a holistic biblical view that even our work is meant to be redeemed for God's glory. That what we use our hands to, whether we're creating with physically our hands or maybe our minds or our intellect or our ability, or maybe we're making food or maybe we're building things, whatever we're doing for work, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because God's given and God's created. And we need a far, I would say, much more robust, deep theology in terms of work. That this is a way where most of us spend most of our hours to glorify God in it. 
And even if we view life this way, that, that matter matters, that what God made matters, this is how we celebrate like beautiful art. There's some of you here who have the ability to take a brush and just like, and like come up with something. You're like, where the heck did that come from? That's beautiful. I like, I feel like I see God with that. Some of you pick up an instrument or you use the instrument of your voice and you're just like, I won't do it because I don't want to scare you. But like, and you're like, wow. It's like I'm experiencing God in a whole nother way because you're living out the creative work of the Lord. It's good. It's beautiful. It's like, and you think I'm joking when I talk about the beauty of food. I am dead serious. It's a spiritual matter that when some of you take like all these different random ingredients and, and you get like an instant pot and you like put it in there and boom, and you let it work. And out comes this amazing creation. You're like, wow, I'm in awe. That's amazing. And it's meant for us to worship. And you think I worship a little too much at the altar of the dinner plate, but it's beautiful. Because we're meant to look at the creative order and say, wow, isn't God good? Isn't that amazing that God makes these things so that we could honor and worship him? So all that God has made is good and and as splendid as all of the design of creation is, we we find that the ultimate expression of God's creation is in humankind. Right here. This is God's ultimate expression of his creative order. Uh, Verse 27 God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I I read one quote recently in preparation here. It said, um, and this was a pretty smart person, was saying, human beings are animals. They are sometimes monsters, sometimes magnificent, but always animals. I mean, in some sense, he's kind of correct, I guess, a little bit, because we are creatures. I mean, we're made on the same day of creation as, as all the animals, and, and the truth is, some of us, we got, I mean, we all got nose, and animals got nose. We got two eyes. It's not like we're totally different. Um, we share something in common. But guys, we are not just animals. We are, we're not just animals. We're not just less hairy apes. As much as someone wants to tell you, we're just less hairy than, than an ape. We're not. Um, we reflect something of God's nature in a way that nothing else in creation does. As human beings. Uh, there's a fancy word for that is the imago dei. That we are made in the image of God. As human beings. This means that we possess a moral, um, a, moral a spiritual, an ethical nature that does not exist elsewhere. I, I want to affirm, this doesn't mean that we don't see value in other expressions of life that God's created. Um, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be abusive towards other acts of creation because they're not humans. I, I, I think we've laid out all that God has made is good. Um, we're supposed to take care of creation. So it's not saying that like the tree in your garden is bad somehow. It's beautiful. I think we could see God in you nurturing this little tree and little sapling grow up to be all that you're meant to be. And oh, look, a beautiful tree and you're giving me fruit. I mean, that's good. That, that's great. Um, it doesn't mean that you're imagining when you leave home in the morning, your dog just looks really sad when you leave. And when you come home, your dog just seems to be very happy. I mean, I don't think we're imagining that. I think that's real. But here's what it does mean. Your pet doesn't ask existential questions. What does this all mean? You might think they are. They're just saying, where's the food? That's, that's what they're asking. Um, our pets 
They won't ask, what, does, what exists beyond our bodies that we're walking in for these decades of life? You and I, we have a spiritual nature. We have a soul that distinguishes us from the rest of creation. we got to get that down. We are not just another animal. What this means, it, it means viewing every single person who's been created on this earth through the lens of being an image bearer of God. It means looking at every single person who's been born on this earth through the idea they reflect the image of God and who they are and might be really marred. It might be really distorted. It might be one of those mirrors that some of us have that got cracks all through it, but it's still in the image of God. And I, I think as people who would say we follow Christ, as we look at people that way, particularly so for certain populations for whom life has become devalued for different reasons in our society. I think that's the call we have to view people. One example, the unborn. I think as we look at the unborn, as we consider science, and science is helpful in these ways, um, I think demonstrating that at the moment of conception, just some facts that when the sperm hits the egg, there is a new life. There is a new genetic code There is a new being that possesses 46 chromosomes that are distinct from mother and from father. There there is a new human being, albeit a really tiny one, that's still being formed, but there is a new life there. Science says that at eight weeks in the womb, this baby is sucking her thumb. That she's recoiling from, from pricking. That she's fearful of pain. And, and technology now allows you to see these things that we, we just didn't know in, in generations past, that she responds to sound. And this is, this is in the womb, that all of her organs are present. Her brain is functioning. Her heart is pumping. Her liver is making blood cells. Her kidneys, they're cleaning fluid. She has fingerprints at eight weeks. There is a life there made in the image of God. And I'm really mindful and I can scan faces as well, that even as I say this, we live in a cultural climate that is probably about as politically charged as I can remember in my few short years. That even saying these kinds of things, we automatically go to kind of like preconceived notions of political platforms. And I think talking about, like, say, the unborn, for instance, we automatically go to messages, I think, that have sometimes been hijacked for political uses, and some of us, we might realistically even be sitting here, be tempted to shut down, say, oh, okay, this is one of those. I'm, this doesn't, I'm not again, I'm not for this. Um, I really want to hope, and it's sincerely welcoming, try not to do that. My hope is that we don't do that. Rather, whatever philosophy we have about life, whatever ideology, maybe whatever inclinations that we would lean toward, my hope for all of us here is that we would sincerely seek to understand the nature of God's creation and the value that he has for all he has made as those made in the image of God. Again, we might differ on the expression of it, but we need to dig in what does it mean that we view life as those not just from happenstance, but made in the image of God. Because I'm going to suggest that if we fully embrace this concept of God's image bearers, And I'm going to push a little bit here. Advocating for life, it cannot suddenly cease once a baby exits a woman's birth canal. 
If we truly want to view people through the lens of the image of God, being an advocate of life can't suddenly stop when a child exits a couple inches from a woman's birth canal. It's got to be a holistic thing. It's got to be a holistic looking at life, looking at all image bearers of God. As others far smarter than me have said, um, if life is going to be valued, it's got to be from the womb to the tomb. What does it mean to have a holistic view of seeing people made in the image of God? What I think it means is that as much as our cultural climate might say, particularly right now, if you are an immigrant or a refugee in our country, you are no less a person than someone born and bred in our country. I love America. I'm a proud American. Don't send me hate mail. If you are American, it does not mean we are any better than anyone else in this world. Just because of a birth certificate. It does not. It, it means that if someone comes to our country, and again, you can say it's a political thing, I'm going to say it's the image of God thing, that we care about any single person because of the simple fact that they are made in the image of God. We can have differing political views on how we best do that, but the one common we need to embrace as people who would follow God is, what does it mean to value a human life made in the image of God? Regardless of religious background, regardless of what kind of cultural background, regardless of the language that's spoken, what do we as followers of Jesus say, this is what it means to value the life of an immigrant or a refugee because we value the image of God. Perhaps it means we value, and I'm, maybe I'm seeking more to our men, we value the lives of women a little bit better. And I'll be very forthright. That's been a big area of continual development for me because I didn't realize how much inner, um, I don't know how to say this, I didn't have a good view of women. And I didn't even realize how deep it was in me. It was just ingrained from different cultural reasons. And for me, part of um, getting a better understanding of the Imago Dei, the image of God, was recognizing, you know what? I need to celebrate what women are as distinct, unique, beautiful creations of God made to be who they are. Don't judge me, but I was watching that one show on, on Netflix, the old one that came out last year, People vs. OJ. Uh, don't judge me. It was really good, though, right? It was, it was basically uh, telling in fictional form, sort of, but what the real story of the whole thing, and some of you weren't even born yet, so you have no idea what this is. It's like in your history book. I lived it. I was watching the NBA Finals when it happened. I remember the white Bronco. Anyway, a lot of stuff, but one thing that stood out to me was the, the, the main prosecutor, Marsha Clark. I just remember um, during the actual trials and stuff thinking, man, she's just horrible. Man, she's just got bad attitudes and she's like mean. And, just, and watching this, it really helped to humanize her in my eyes because I was thinking, man, she caught a lot of nasty stuff just for the fact that she was a woman doing a job that people didn't think she should be doing because she was good at her job. Because she was strong, and women aren't supposed to be strong. She was clear-cut, and women aren't supposed to be like that. Getting focus groups telling her, you know what, maybe if you can change your hair, because people don't like the way your hair looks, your clothes are really kind of, eh. If you could soften yourself up a little bit, people would receive your message better. And how subtle this idea that just because she was born a woman, somehow she was less than. And again, I'm assuming if you're a woman in here, you love being a woman, so praise God. But maybe for the men, what does it look like for us to really celebrate the unique design of being a woman and help women to thrive in that? 
Help women to flourish in that. Help women to not feel less than. And even in the church, we got a lot of work. What does that look like? That women are an image bearer of God. Maybe it means we consider the LGBTQ community. <laughs> you're like, you're going to go there? Yeah, a little bit. Um, to be honest, it, it's, it's complex. It's not simplistic. But one thing I do know, whatever our beliefs are on that, I don't think the larger church, who would be very orthodox in our theology and beliefs, I don't think we've always done the best job in engaging with the LGBTQ community. Maybe, maybe it means that, that we're not necessarily sacrificing belief and, and orthodox thought, but we've got to ask ourselves, are we really believing in the Imago Dei, the image of God? That every single person, again, made on this earth is in the image of God. Again, it doesn't mean that there's not marring and distortion as there is for all of us. But what does it mean for us to love? Those who are made in the image of bear of God. A real one for our neighborhood. What does it mean to love the addict? Who are made in the image of God. And, and, you know, it's, it's really easy from a distance to say, oh, yeah, of course we got to love. If you are in that day-to-day and interacting with people who are struggling, you see some stuff. You see some stuff, particularly if it touches your family. Um, and it's really easy to start to dehumanize and to say, man, what's wrong with people? And, and there's just issues there. And, but maybe seeing through the lens of the image of God, start saying, you know what, maybe there's a lot of systemic issues that work together. Of, of issues of financial and issues of family and issues of addiction, that maybe it's not just someone with less self-control in their life like I, I have, but maybe it's asking, what are some of the deeper systemic issues that have led to that point and being serious about that rather than just judging automatically and saying, ah, oh, junkie, oh, you know, whatever it might be, and saying, um, what would it look like to also consider as the image bearer of God? Maybe it's black lives. Again, you're like, you're going to go there? Just a little bit. Um, I, I, we got to be really clear. It, it doesn't matter when we say black lives matter. It doesn't mean that only black lives matter. I think most of us are nuanced enough to understand that. Right? Some people get really mad when you start talking about black lives. Like, why do they only matter? We're not saying they only matter. But it's saying black lives matter too. Because we've got to acknowledge in our history, especially if you're American, and if you're not American, you can ignore me for it. If you're American, our cultural heritage is that we have not done a good job as a nation of understanding some of the systemic issues that have been part of the black experience. And again, even saying the black experience as if it's one thing for everyone. It's not. But um, most black people who've come to this nation were not coming to vacation or as immigrants. It was through slave trade. Um, there was old Jim Crow, new Jim Crow. There's a lot of factors out there. Um, and again, the goal of this message is not to dig into all that, but it's to say, as a church, I don't know if we've always, not, I'm not just saying our church, but just as the big church, I don't think we've always done the best job of saying, you know what? Lives do matter, even black lives. And what does it look like for us to say, yes, Someone's color of skin are made in the image of God. There's beauty there. 
Here's what I'm saying, and, and don't get mad because I didn't mention something. You're like, well, Bob, this life. I, yeah, I, got, I only got like how many minutes here, right? Here's what I'm saying. As people who walk in the redemption of God's creation in Christ, we must be a people committed to the flourishing of all image bearers of God. Amen? If we walk in Christ, we must be committed to the flourishing of all image bearers of God. Do you, here's a way you can tell if you're starting to walk maybe along this journey. If you start getting some people mad at you for different things. <laughs> Again, not that you should go out looking for enemies. That's not our point. I'm not, don't be dumb. But if, if, if you've got people who just celebrate every single um, opinion you have about, maybe your idea of flourishing is kind of limited in scope. So maybe some people say, I love how you advocate for the unborn. That's the Christian view of life. Oh, I don't like the way you talk about that group of people, though. That's like liberal nonsense. Blech. Church doesn't need to be talking about that. Um, maybe we need to ask God to broaden our view of what human flourishing looks like. And to say, if, we, if we're going to press into this, if we're going to live in this, if our goal is to work towards these things, we need to ask um, how can we help all of God's creation to discover and experience who they were intended to be as those made in God's image? Both materially as well as spiritually. And, and I'm hoping you're seeing that we cannot so easily separate those two things, material and spiritual. So, um, man, I, I love what I'm seeing with some of our community groups at the church. I think even yesterday morning, a bunch of our folks were helping out at a shelter, um, working with the group and cooking and getting food ready. I know some of our groups have put together uh, care packages for the homeless population. That's tremendous. And, and I want you to know, that's not just being a do-gooder, but that's actually believing in the image of God and saying, it matters what I do for people's material means. It matters if I give a piece of bread in the name of Jesus. It matters if I help someone get, get on their feet because it's in the name of Jesus. It matters if I help someone to, to resettle into a new country because matter matters. It matters what I do. But, but this is also critical why we have to ask, where do we place our hope for in the ultimate flourishing of creation? Because I'm going to suggest, apart from God, we all, every single one of us, we seek our flourishing in things other than God. And what it does is it, le- it leads us to a bad place. So without God, apart from him, we're going to say, we need to seek our flourishing in how successful we can be. Or we need to seek our flourishing in how good our relationships are. Or we need to seek our flourishing in how much money we can make. We need to seek our flourishing in how our appearance comes off. We need to seek our flourishing in really pressing into our racial identity. All those things might be good, but I'm going to suggest, apart from God, it's going to lead to frustration. Because we're not going to fully be all that we were created to be. And that's why we need to come back to creation. I love how the writer of Genesis, he ends his description of each of the other days with these words. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first, and then second, third, day. Right? That's how he does it. There was evening, morning. But notice that at the end of the seventh day, it doesn't end like that. It actually continues. It keeps going. In a sense, God has rested ever since in a living, continuing Sabbath. It's like seventh day just keeps on going. That It doesn't mean that God's not still actively working now and here. I mean, he continues to sustain his creation. I mean, without him, everything would fall apart. But when a job has been done perfectly, as God did in the garden, there's nothing more to do. It's done. It's not like he rests on the seventh day. All right, got to get back into it. Punch the clock. Back to day one. I mean, it's done. 
It's finished. It's good. And God then wants human beings to dwell with him in that seventh day mentality, living and sharing in his rest and and enjoying the beauty and the perfection of creation. I mean, it's really an idyllic picture of life as was meant to be displayed in the garden. That it, I mean, in some sense, it gives us how we're meant to live with God and his kingdom. That God's people, Adam and Eve here, they live in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's rule, and as a result, they enjoy God's blessings. And tragically, it's not long before everything is jacked up in human rebellion and sin, and we're going to learn more about that next week. But here's the good news. Ever since then, God has been working on this story to reestablish his kingdom and to invite a, a, a rebellious people back into a relationship with him. That he wants us to enjoy the purpose of creation. He wants us to enter into this perfect rest on that seventh day. And guys, this is our hope as a church. This is our hope as the people of God that if we trust in Jesus, even in this fallen world, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. That's what Jesus is promising. And as Christians, we can look forward to that ultimate new creation when it's just all rest. And, and you know rest doesn't just mean like taking a nap, right? That's what rest means to us now because we're all sleep deprived. Rest is just fully living out the way it was meant to be in full joy and completeness. The writer to the Hebrews in the, in the New Testament, he points to the future with these encouraging words. He says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Doesn't that bring you hope? That God is inviting us into this seventh day kind of idea of resting in him. And, and can I encourage us that that would be the rest that we invite others to. That those who we are connecting with, those we're loving, that we would invite, especially if they don't know God, we're inviting them into this rest. We're inviting them into, you are working so hard to try to find yourself. You're working so hard to try to establish yourself. You are just putting so much effort into trying to define who you are, define your meaning, find your purpose, and you're exhausted because it's never enough Here's the good word of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news of something you can't earn, but that's been sacrificially bought to be given to you. And now you can rest in him that who you are is enough in Christ. That's living water to people who are parched in the desert. That's living water. That's food for those who are starving. And to invite people to live out the way life was meant to be. So as much as we invite others, I also, I want to invite you guys into that rest. And whether we follow Jesus here or not, um, I'm guessing some of us, our frustration in life was we're living life, but not the way it was intended to be. And we're frustrated. And we're tired. And things just don't seem to be the way they're supposed to be. And maybe some of that is because we're not living life the way it was meant to be. I want to invite you to rest in Christ Rest in this idea of what Jesus has done on this thing called a cross. That he himself in his own garden prayed and wept and and agonized so that we could find the rest of the garden ourselves through Jesus' work. 
and, and that as we enter into life together, even as a church, that we start to remind one another, hey, this is what life is what meant to be. This is how things are going to start making sense again. Don't be ruled by your work. Your success does not define you. Your beauty does not define you. Someone telling you they love you, yeah, that's great, but that does not ultimately define you. How much money you have in the bank, that does not define you. Your health, that does not define you. How many possessions you have, that does not define you. How many likes you get on Facebook, that does not define you. What defines you is knowing that you are made in the image of God. He loves you, even with all your warts. And he's going to remake you in the way that you were meant to be so that you can fully thrive in that. And the thing is, in this world, we're only going to get kind of a small taste of that. It's a good, beautiful taste, but it's pointing us to that eternal rest that's going to come, that it's going to be fully like that. And I'll invite you into that. I'm going to ask you to stand on that thought right now. As you stand, take a moment. You can bow your head before the Lord. Not in some spiritually powerful thing, but just to kind of focus your gaze on Him. And can I just ask you, in what ways are you living life apart from God's design for what was meant to be good? And again, I I want to be very careful to say, um, we want to be mindful to say it's not because you're doing something, that's why you're going through hard stuff. But sometimes, I think, being being honest, it, it is. Have we gotten away from God's design for how life was meant to be lived? And I'll invite you right now to rest in him. Rest from trying to find your identity as the best mom of the year. Rest from that grind of trying to succeed to be number one or whatever you're supposed to be in your profession. Rest from the pressure of trying to have the perfect family. Rest from trying to achieve the perfect look. Whatever it might be for you, can I invite you to rest and to know the good work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, ultimately to his death. That's how seriously he took it. And that he conquered sin and death and rose from a grave. Rest in that. So can you join me in praying right now and to remember the good work of Jesus Christ? Take a moment and pray that and find rest in him. I know for some of you that feels like a mirage. You're like, rest? When's when's rest coming? It doesn't mean you're not going to be tired. Sometimes doing the work of God might very much take everything you have. But there's a deep rest that comes from knowing that you are beloved. Your life is not a mistake. I feel for some of us, you've been wrestling with wondering whether your life is a mistake, whether it would matter if you just suddenly were not here. The image of God says it does matter because you're not an accident. You're very purposely made just as God makes all of his creation. Rest in that. Take a moment. Heavenly Father, as we come before your table right now, help us to remember that this story is not about being more moral. The Bible is not about trying to teach us how to be a better person. If anything, it's reminding us of who we were created to be. And Lord, because of sin, we've lost sight of that. But you provide a hope. You provide an answer. You are the rescuer. You've got a plan. And help us to step into that and live in that and fix our gaze on the one we love, Jesus, who loves us as we're made in God's image. And God, help us as we're here. And and just a room like this, I'm sure we're all over uh, the spectrum of, of what it means to live in you. But help us, Lord, whether we know you or not, 
to be, to be reminded of how we were made, maybe how we've fallen from that, yet how you will allow us to live in what you intended us to be in Jesus. So help us remember your sacrifice, Lord, and find our delight in living in you. So help us, Lord, as we worship you. So I want to invite you, you can keep praying. Um, you can pray with one another if you'd like. And during the time as we sing, I also invite you, if you're a Christian, to come up to the table. Be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us to forgive our sins. You can come up both aisles, take a piece of the wafer, dip into the cup right there, and remember the sacrificial death of Jesus and the life that's found in him that gives us our identity. So let's pray, respond, receive communion, sing however we need to do. And let's maybe big reminder, just be reminded God knows you. God loves you. He made you. He wants you to find joy and delight in him.